Let's thank the Lord for this time of worship, church. Praise the Lord. God bless everybody. You can have a seat. My name is Marcus, um, executive pastor here. Just want to welcome everybody today. Thank you for coming. If you're joining us online as well, we thank you for tuning in. Excited about our, our, our 10 o'clock service. And our hope, you guys, our hope, is, our hope is that we get to know each other a little bit more as a family. Can I hear amen? Right? Our hope as well is to, to continue this momentum that God is doing here to grow, right, and to be a light here in the city and beyond. And, and I, that's not going to happen if we don't do several things that I'm going to chat about right quick. Just felt this in my, in my heart to share with you guys. But we, we've received updates of kind of where we are, so I just want to give another one just to calm everybody and just get a sense of where we are. Uh, the, the board is still actively looking for a new senior pastor, but until then, uh, I just want to give you guys some updates, right? Until the Lord says otherwise, um, I get to be the role of the interim lead pastor, so I'm very excited about that, right? So I don't need claps, but ho fortunately there was no booze, right? And so until the Lord says otherwise, right? I'll be leading and excited about it, and in the right time, whenever that may be, right, the Lord brings another leader, we'll transition then, but some cool things are happening, right, uh, Pastor DJ now is playing more of the executive pastor role, right, because we're all stepping up our game and, and figuring this out and, and, and really excited about it, um, Scotty uh, is going from youth pastor, right, to more an associate pastor, let's thank the Lord for that, right. So big deal in Scotty's life, and you can see him just continue to develop as a minister, right? And so he'll be, he'll be expanding his leadership as well. We have Ricky has gone from an intern, and now he's going to be our youth director, Ricky Rodriguez. Amen. So in this time, God is alive and God is doing things. And if NBC has been a blessing to you, I'm going to ask three things of you. I'm going to ask that you, that you come faithfully to church. Can I hear amen on that? Right? That you come faithfully, right? This is us. This is our church. This is who God has brought together. So let's make a commitment to come faithfully. Number two, let's make a commitment to give generously. Can I hear amen? amen. And, and I know it's tougher when there's some insecurities, right? But it really is not, it was never really Tim leading this church. And it's not me leading this church. And it's not going to be the next pastor, whenever that may be, to lead the church. It is the Lord that is leading this church. Can I hear amen? Right? And, and so, and so these, these, these concerns we have, take it to the Lord, and let's continue to give generously. And, and number three, I would ask, is that we invite frequently. Can I hear amen? Right? If we do those three things, we are going to thrive, and this is who we are. This is the team we've got, and we're excited about it to head into this next season. So let's thank the Lord for, for that. Amen. It's uh, college football season. I know some men are excited and some women are, I don't know, right, maybe happy that they don't have to be with their man so much because he's going to be watching a lot of football or maybe they're football widows. Uh, I, I love college football. I, recently, last week, I got, to, I got invited to do the devotional for the Aztecs. And I'm always excited to do that. I love to connect and tell them about Jesus and connect with the coaches. And uh, I've been a part of that for a lot of years. And it's, it's, it's great. Uh, so many of the athletes are Christians. So many of them are seeking the Lord. 
uh, from Brady Hoke. Got to spend time with him, the, uh, the head coach there. He loves the Lord. But there's always a little pressure right after that because I know there's no correlation, but I'm like, what if they lose? <laughs> Fortunately, they won, so hopefully I'll get invited back. Uh, but uh, this season uh, reminds me a lot about um, Gatorade. And so whenever you watch football or baseball or basketball or hockey, you will see Gatorade, right? And as we're in, in, this, in, this, in this series of walking through water, today we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you want to get to your Bibles there and kind of be ready for that. But let's, let's take a look at this picture right here. Uh, and you can't... It's a great picture right there, right? You can't uh, see a sporting event without seeing Gatorade in some capacity. In 1965, the University of Florida was noticing that it was very difficult for their athletes to get through the practice. Of course, because of the humidity, because of the heat, because of the strenuous practices. And, and football back in that day was different. I remember, or remember playing sports growing up, like being hydrated was kind of like a bonus. Yeah. Coaches thought it was tough to like be dehydrated, right? And, and so they noticed though there was a big problem because these athletes were losing so much sweat, so much water, they weren't able to perform. They were falling down in exhaustion. Uh, they were weak. Uh, they had weak seasons. So some scientists in 1965 from the University of Florida started studying the sweat, the sweat of the athletes to analyze it, to see what's going on. What, is there a correlation with them sweating so much, being dehydrated in performance? And of course, there was. At this point, there was simply just water. Right. And so those scientists got together, created a formula, and studied all the stuff that was coming out, the sodium, the electrolytes. And as they're studying the sweat, they had an aha moment. They said, look, if we replace what the athletes are losing, perhaps it'll impact their performance in a very uh, positive way. So they did that. They created a couple formulas and finally landed on one that didn't taste nasty that because they put some, some lemon into it, and they noticed while the athletes were drinking it, and they noticed the athletes had a significant advantage. When they started drinking this Gatorade, the athletes now were known for, in the fourth quarter, getting stronger, being more alert, being more ready and prepared in the fourth quarter as the, as the, as the performance of the other teams dwindled. The University of Florida was doing great. They had a 9-2 season, uh, uh, turned around the season, and they knew that that Gatorade was a part of it. Well, if you know anything about college football, the University of Florida, the mascot is the what? The Gator. So that was the birth of Gatorade. Um, now it's the official drink of the NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. Yearly sales of Gatorade, over $6 billion dollars. Over $6 billion. That's crazy. You know why? Because as good as the Gatorade is, and as good as it replenishes it for that time, it only, thirst, uh, uh, only quenches the thirst temporarily. Can I hear amen? And that's why they can sell it over and over and over and over again. 
Because no matter what those athletes use to quench their temporary thirst or to quench their thirst, it'll only quench it temporarily. So they found a great way to leverage thirst. And today, we're going to be seeing a story, right? It's, it's a great allegory. An allegory is a story that, 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 that talks about another story as well. So as we're looking at the story today about the woman at the well, we're going to be seeing something uh, um, congruent with that that's much, much bigger. So I'm going to try to paint that picture for us today. Let's go to um, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So a couple things here as the story begins. If we can go to the picture of Israel. So here's uh, an idea of what the story was, was taking place, where it was taking place. Jesus was going back and forth from Judea to Galilee, which is up top, which is north, and Judea is here. And in order to get to Galilee, you notice he had to get through Samaria. Well, this was a problem for a lot of the Jewish people, and we can just leave this up here for a little bit, because the Jewish people did not like Samaritans. And here are some reasons why the Jewish people did not like Samaritans. If we can go to the next slide right here. Why the Israelites hated the Samaritans. One, there was historical origins. In the 8th century B.C., the Assyrian Empire conquered northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? So, so just follow me right here. The Israelites were conquered. And in this place where was their home, they were kicked out. And so some Jewish people remained there in the conquered kingdom, and some were kicked out. Now, the Assyrians brought in others. And so now the Jewish people that remained intermarried with those. The Jewish people that left, that were in exile, did not intermarry. So now became this friction that was going on here. What else can we see here? Divergent religious beliefs. Go to the next slide. Okay. Um, so when that happened, you can imagine, uh, Scotty talked about Baal last week, right? So a lot of the worshiping of Baal and that, and, and that religion was mixed in. So this it created a divergent uh, uh, um, um, religious beliefs that now the Jewish people who were exiled maintained that purity the ones that stayed there were intermarried, taking on other beliefs. What else happened here? Geographical divisions. The Jews remained in the south, the Samaritans in the north. Historical events. Around 200 B.C., the Jewish ruler destroyed their temple in Mount Gerizim. So, once again, the ones that were there intermarrying created their own temple. The Jewish people who were exiled worship 
and the temple in Jerusalem. Are you guys following me here? So all these things led to significant reasons for them to hate each other. Another, religious exclusivity. Both claimed that they were the true family of God, that they were God's people. And the last one, cultural differences. So you can imagine how they behaved differently, how they spoke differently, different norms, different social mores. So now back to the story. Jesus, who is a Jew, and his disciples, who are Jewish, we're not to consort, we're not to spend time, we're not to build relationships, we're not to talk to the Samaritans. So there's this big, big gap between the Jewish people and the Samaritans that was not to be bridged. So let's take a look at something else here. Let's take a look at the well. So we're going to see that Jesus meets this woman at the well. Well, it's not that simple. It's not, it's not just something to pass over because when the Jewish people heard and thought about somebody, a man, meeting a female at a well, all these ideas would pop up because there's this recurring motif in the Old Testament, right? Because when a man met a woman at the well... In Old Testament stories, it was often tied to marriage. So as we get into the story, there's some interesting things going on. So when Jesus goes to the well, and he's going to see a Samaritan, and he's the male, and, and first of all, culturally, he shouldn't have been talking to that woman alone. So there's all these weird, nuanced things going on. And then when the disciples are seeing this, some of them had to think, wait a minute. Because in the well, Abraham sent his servants to find a wife for Isaac. It happened at the well. What else happened at the well? Jacob saw his wife, Rachel, where? At the well. What else happened at the well? Moses, in Exodus 2, goes to a well and meets his wife, Zipporah. Well, if you read, this, if you read the Songs of Solomon as well... There's all these illusions of love, marriage, relationship, and wells. So back to this story, when Jesus meets this woman at the well, man, there was a lot going on with that. It was not as simple as Jesus is thirsty and he's going to the well. So keep these things in mind as the story develops. And keep this in mind too. This, this woman, back to the allegory. This woman certainly did exist. This, this event certainly did exist. But, but the, the Bible was highlighting it for a bigger reason. It wasn't only to talk about Jesus going to well and asking for water and getting water and move on to the next thing. This woman at the well, as we're going to see represents us. Well, what do you mean, Marcus, about that? Well, well, a couple things about the woman at the well. She did not belong initially or at this point to God's family. She was a reject. She was a woman that, as we're going to see too, that had a checkered past, that on her own, her righteousness was, righteousness was nothing. And on her own, she had no access to the Lord. 
we see here a woman that's thirsty as well. And we see a woman here that no matter what she's trying to do to quench that thirst in her life, it's not sufficient. So she has to go to the well every day, every day. Interesting thing, too. Jesus met her at the well at noon. Why is that interesting? Well, this tells you a little bit more about this woman. And as the story goes, it'll make sense. Typically, as a norm, the women would gather together and go to the well early in the morning. Imagine a desert. Imagine the desert heat. You don't want to go do the strenuous work right at high noon. You want to get that work done early in the morning. So the fact that this woman was alone at the well tells us that she did not have a community. Are you guys following me? It also tells us this, that that community wasn't supporting her because she didn't have anybody to go with. And we don't know why she didn't go at early in the morning, but we can, we can make some implications. But we know that her going at noon was significant and probably meant that she was an outcast. So now we see this story, and here's the allegory, okay? Here's the picture I want to paint through this. I'll give you the answer to the test. It's Jesus pursuing the church. It's Jesus going out of his way to go to places that people think he shouldn't go, to spend time with individuals people think aren't worthy. And because of that love, because of that desire, Jesus went out of his way to connect with this sinful woman who could not quench her thirst, who was rejected for him to create a relationship of marriage. Now, not that he was going to marry her. Let me be very clear here. The illusion, the allegory. Are you guys with me? Right? Because he knew being at the well with a female, what the implications were there. So let's go on. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. Right? We've taken a look at that. Um, verse 7 through 12 says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town for food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and all of his livestock? So we see the woman's response. Here's the first point here. The woman at the well believes Jesus, although she does not understand completely. This is interesting because this is John chapter 4. In John chapter 3, we have the famous John 3.16 that most all of us could recite. 
But if you look at John chapter 3, he is speaking those words to a gentleman named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And he was sneaking out at night to connect with Jesus because this fame started to, started to brew about who Jesus was. So Nicodemus went to connect with them and said, look, I know you're a great teacher and you're somebody special. And Jesus tells him, right, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And told him, hey, if you want to get into heaven. So, so, so Nicodemus is like, hey, I want some of that. How, how, how do I get into heaven? How do I do that? And, and Jesus told him, you need to be born again. You guys following me? Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, goes, wait a minute. We've heard this concept, right? But imagine hearing that for the first time. You need to be born again. He's like, yo, this is getting kind of weird, Jesus. <laughs> how are you going to? And just like, man, you don't know what I'm talking about. Nicodemus believed Jesus but quite didn't understand. This woman believed Jesus, didn't quite understand. And isn't that how we often are at least how we started off? I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus today. Some of you guys may be searching. Some of you guys maybe came with a friend. Maybe some of you guys grew up in church. But it all started, it probably didn't start with you hearing one story about Jesus and you believing it probably has been a spectrum. Can I hear amen? Right? So I don't know where you are right there, but here they are early in that spectrum. And even though she did not fully understand, she did believe. There's a beautiful story, a beautiful story in Mark chapter 9. And it's this father that brings his son to Jesus. And the son is paralyzed or, or, or mute, and he foams at the mouth, and he's filled with demons. And, 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 and the dad doesn't know much. He doesn't know much, but he's heard about this Jesus. And if I can just get my son to Jesus, something will happen. He didn't know the Bible. His theology was probably off. But he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. And he finds Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, this is what's going on with my son. Can you help him out? Right? And, 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 and Jesus says, well, if you believe, if you believe. And then this is a father said, so such, a, such a true answer. And maybe it's true for a lot of us. I believe, but help my unbelief. Wow. What an honest answer. And yet, Jesus still healed him. And maybe that's where we are sometimes in our life. And maybe we're in a spot where we, you know, we believe completely and we have that trust. We'll praise the Lord. But maybe sometimes we're in a spot, and maybe perhaps today you're in that spot, where if they ask you, if Jesus said, do you believe, your response truly would be, yes, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. God can deal with that. Can I hear amen? God can deal with that just like he dealt with it with Nicodemus. Just like he dealt with it with this woman. And let's continue on right now as we go to verses 13 through 18. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst thee again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Uh, I have no husband, she replied. 
And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. <laughs> what you have said is quite true, she responded. Oh, man. Jesus don't play. <laughs> Jesus don't play. Man, just what a beautiful illustration. What a great story here. And, and, and listen here. Here's the second thing we can observe from this woman. First, she believed Jesus, although she, was not complete, she didn't completely understand. Secondly, she acknowledged that she is a sinner. Did we notice that in this story? She didn't start making excuses. She didn't say, yeah, well, but, or my first husband. And, and we don't know. We don't know at what point. Was she a bad wife? Did she have horrible husbands? Did they die? The, the, the reality is she had had five husbands. She was in an adulterous state, and she was now living as an adulteress as well. Are you guys following me? And she didn't try to cover that up. She didn't try to like, well, and so often, right, when, 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 when God wants to identify our sin, what do we want to do? We want to cover that bad boy up. We want to sweep it under the rug as opposed to say, you're right, Lord. Amen. You're right. What a beautiful thing how she responded and she said, what you said is right. Look, in Romans 3.23, I love this verse, and it just talks about this. It says, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, this woman, ourselves, every person in the history has fallen short. But thank God he has provided a solution. He doesn't leave us there. So we see in her a great example that she acknowledges that she is a sinner. Well, let's take a look now, verses 25 through 29. Say this. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ. Let me, let me pause there real quick. So we know uh, Jesus Christ, right? Christ was not his last name, right? Christ was his title. So he was Jesus the Christ. You guys following me? And a very interesting thing to hear, Jesus at that time was a very, very popular name. It was Jesus, it was Yeshua, it was equivalent to Joshua. So it was a name that, that was normal. And Jesus came from a town, right, that people would say, what, what, what good could come from that town? This guy's a carpenter, son of a carpenter. Uh, it was Josh. Right? It's like, like, once again, I said before, like, like he's from National City? Pedro? From National him? Come on. There ain't no Pedro from National City doing these things, right? That was, that was the response, right? So we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but, but God provided his son Jesus for this. Let's take a look at that last verse. Come see. No, I'm sorry. The, man, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is called the Christ. It was Jesus the Christ. She, 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 she'd heard of him. And she'd believed in him. Twenty-eight, let's pick this back up. This is a subtle thing that's really, really cool. Then leaving her water jar, 
the women went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Then leaving the water jar. Let me paint the picture here. It's hot. She's probably full of shame. Walking to the well, sweating. Probably lamenting the fact that she's kicked out of the woman's group early in the morning. Gets there. Needs that water to survive. Meets this strange individual. And from that moment on, her world was changed. Because she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She believed through that experience that Jesus was the Christ. She believed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, and she realized right there through his words and through his behavior that what she went to go grab at that well, that was nothing wrong with it. You guys following me? She needed that water. She found out, I I I'm leaving this here because that's not really what I need. What I really need is Jesus. And what I really need is a water a living water, then when I take it, then I will never thirst again. Because this is temporary. And I love that she left immediately. What a beautiful thing. Here's the next point here. She abandoned a temporary fix for an eternal solution. So what do we see from her so far? She believed Jesus, although she does not completely understand. She acknowledges that she is a sinner and that she abandoned a temporary fix for an eternal solution. You know, we all have this thirst. I'm thirsty now, right? And so I'm drinking this water. I'm going to need some more water in a little bit. It's good. It's going down. It's doing its job. But it's not the solution. And, you know, we all have this eternal thirst. Can I hear Amen. The world has this thirst to belong, to, to be a child of God, to, to be in his family. And, 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 and if that thirst isn't quenched with the living water, we try, to, we try to quench it with all these other things. Let's take a look at this next slide. We, haven't, we attempt to quench our eternal thirst through relationships. Nothing wrong with relationships. Can I hear amen? I love my relationships. But that doesn't fulfill my need to belong to God. So it can't be in relationships. And next, in entertainment, nothing wrong with entertainment. There's in entertainment that there's things wrong with. Can I hear amen? But just entertainment. And, and some people, it's through entertainment that they're trying to quench that thirst. And go watch a movie. Go watch, uh, what's the uh, Mission Impossible, Last Mission Impossible. Great movie. But that was number six. Right? Because the first one wasn't enough. I think Mission Impossible 8 is he's going to be fighting gingivitis and arthritis. That's going to be a good one, right? And so entertainment doesn't fill that hole. What about identity, right? And we all try to, and you see this a lot if you're around high schoolers. You see this around high schoolers because there's that need to fit in. And so you see the jocks 
be with the jocks, and then you see the goth, be with the goth, right? And you see the band members, be with the band, and you see the gifted kids, the smart kids, be with the gifted kids, and you see all these little subunits. Are you guys with me? Cheerleaders are with the cheerleaders, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But, 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 but when that becomes your identity, right, what happens when you're a jock and you can't play football anymore, or you're a cheerleader and your grades go down, right, or, or when you're a smart kid and you fail the test, right, your, your world goes haywire because we can't fulfill that, that eternal longing with, with these false identities. What else? Success. Nothing wrong with success. Nobody, like, puts a five-year plan, like, at, in year five, I want to be completely failure. Hopefully, year four, I'm bankrupt. Year three, hopefully, divorce three times, and hopefully year two, uh, five surgeries, right? People want to be successful. Can I hear amen? Right? And, and so we pursue success, nothing wrong with that, but that success even can't fill that void. Uh, next one, vices and addictions, right? We, we're all very worried of this and probably have some sort of struggle in our life with one of these, whether it be pornography, sexual immorality, wrong identity, whether it be drugs, whether it be language, whether it be marijuana, chemicals. You guys following me? Right? In, these, in these things, here's the crazy thing. If you stop those addictions today, you know you are still not filled. You just aren't doing the thing. But the thing that drove you to do that is still there. Can I hear amen? And so none of these things... Take away the eternal thirst we have. They can't quench it. Next slide. Only living waters can quench our eternal thirst. Over 70% of the world is filled with water. Right? We know the stat. Out of that, 97% of the earth's water is found in oceans and seas. So that means 3% of the world's water is found in lakes and streams and rivers. And out of those, and ponds, and out of that 3%, a lot of it is contaminated. Can I hear amen? Here's, here's my point. We, we can go up to 70 days without eating and be alive. They say about three to four days without water. So out of the 100% of water that exists, 97% is not useful for consuming. Oh, it may look great. That ocean water that's blue, crystal clear, ah, looks refreshing. Go in there with your mouth wide open and swallow that. You'll come up choking and regurgitating. It looks great. Can I hear amen? Looks beautiful. You know, there's this water, these things that the earth, the world tries to provide to quench our thirst, and on the outside looks so good, so clean, so beautiful, so healthy. And as we use that to fulfill and to try to quench our eternal thirst, it just won't do it. And out of the 3% that does work, you know, a lot of it is contaminated. My point is here, there's very little water that we can actually drink to quench our thirst. This world offers a lot of things that looks like it can quench your thirst. But it's only the living waters 
that God provides through his son Jesus Christ that can do that. Let's go to verse 39 through 42. It says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of this word, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. What's the last thing we can pick up from this lady? She helped others believe by sharing her story. I don't know what God has done for you here today. But if you're here today, he's done a lot. Because you're alive. And you're clothed. And you're fed. And you're loved. And you're supported. And you've got resources. This woman realized what God, what Christ had done for her. And she couldn't just hold it in. She couldn't just be good with that. Matter of fact, she left right there like we saw in that last point. She left right there that temporary stuff to go and run and tell people about the one, the living waters that could fulfill them forever. Well, what a great example. What about us? Do we take what God has done for us and keep it in a little box? Keep it in a little compartment. Being thankful but not being eager to share. Well, let's learn from this lady today. As God approached her, she believed. Even though she didn't completely understand. Maybe we're there today. She acknowledged that she is a sinner. Maybe that's you here today, too. Yeah, I know I've done wrong. She abandoned the temporary for an eternal solution. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe God's knocking on your heart, saying, look, enough of this, enough of that. It's not going to fulfill you. Maybe you're there today. And now then she helped others believe by sharing her testimony. Maybe that's you here today. You're like, man, God's been so good to me. I need to share God's love. I need to share God's love. Why don't we close our eyes and, 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 and join me in prayer. We're going to end this service a little bit different today, at least this part of it. So close your eyes and join me in prayer. Lord, I just pray for everybody here, Lord. And I pray for this message that you've given, Lord. And as our eyes are closed, our, our heads are bowed, Lord, if you here today as you listen to me say, you know what, Marcus, I, I, I want to make sure, like that woman at the well, that I make that relationship. I believe what I don't believe. And you're here today not knowing exactly where you stand with the Lord. And maybe your heart's beating a little fast right now. And maybe you're like, man, this is speaking to me. I want to encourage you, just like this woman did, to leave the temporary and to go for the eternal. So if that's you here today, just in the quietness of your heart, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you to acknowledge these things. 
and invite the Lord to lead you, to be your Savior. That's you here today. I just write in accordance with my heart to say, dear Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I've been using the temporary to try to fix the eternal. And Lord, I want to be yours. I want to be forgiven. I want to be made new. And that's you here today. Just on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hands so we can pray for you. And we can acknowledge what God is doing. If you today want to respond to that, if you want to leave assured that you have now the eternal with that relationship with Christ, on the count of three, just slip up your hand and forget who's to the left and to the right of you. That's you today. One, two, three. Just slip up your hand right now. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Keep those hands up. Anybody else today want to make that decision? Anybody else today want to make that decision? Amen. Amen. You can slip your hands down. Amen. Lord, I thank you for all of us, Lord, wherever we are, Lord, and for those individuals who have said, I want to make that decision to be yours, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave this great example of this woman at the well. And now as we move into this time of communion, Lord, that we can reflect on your goodness, Lord. I know many here have made that decision, Lord, that we can take of the bread, Lord, and remember the sacrifice you made along with the, with the shedding of your blood, Lord, for the remission of our sins, Lord. We thank you for this time. And we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for being the living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.